Hello and welcome to a podcast exploring the benefits of strengthening that all-important system-wide partnership working and how this has enabled us to build better mental health support for people in Somerset. We've moved away from that traditional eligibility criteria and triage and assessment that really stifled the provision of mental health services. We've opened the door to those people who previously would have turned away. We can see from the figures that that means that we can support more people, we can support them earlier. There's a real feeling of the voluntary sector feeling valued and feeling as if there's been an equal partnership in designing and developing this, not just something that just the NHS have developed on their own. And the right thing to do is build services around the people who use them and they're telling us X so we should listen to that and at least try. Being transparent and open and honest about how things are going the challenges and the things that might not be working so well is really what's needed. There is some excitement about the model and in fact I think there's a little bit of why haven't we done that before? I'm Becky Wardle, Head of NHS Collaboration for Rethink Mental Illness um, and Rethink Mental Illness are the accountable organisation for the Voluntary Sector Alliance, which is part of Open Mental Health in Somerset. I'm here today with Jane Yendall, Tim Baverstock and Andrew Keefe. Jane, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jane Yendall. I'm the Service Director for Mental Health and Learning Disabilities for Somerset Foundation Trust. And Tim? Hi, uh, Tim Baverstock. I'm Deputy Director of Adult Social Care for Somerset County Council with responsibility for adult services. And Andrew? Hi, I'm Andrew Keefe. I'm the Deputy Director of Commissioning at Somerset CCG, responsible for mental health, autism and learning disabilities. So we're going to be talking about open mental health today and the system-wide partnership that underpins that. So Somerset was one of the early implementers of the community mental health transformation, which was laid out in the long-term plan. And open mental health is Somerset's version of that. We're almost two years in now. Jane, I just wondered if you wanted to outline the model that we've arrived at. So the model very much co-produced consists of two main parts, really. One part is probably more of a traditional model where people in Somerset and their carers can access mental health offers via our 24-7 mine line or via open mental health. And when service users and carers are introduced to the service, we have a very clear ethos of no wrong door. So we will make sure between ourselves and our partners in the BCS that we are doing an assessment and really thinking about the best offer available for that individual. The other part of the model is the development of a mental health ecosystem. And what we mean by that is really supporting grassroots organisations that may be communities of identity or geographical communities where we can support um, those people who don't typically access traditional services, who are perhaps underserved individuals in accessing mental health support. And just reflecting actually on the the no wrong door um, approach that we've really embedded as part of open mental health and also how important Mindline has begun. I'm not sure, I'm sure everybody remembers those eight days that it took to, to stand up the 24-hour helpline that Mindline is. And, and now, actually, the fact that somebody can call at any time um, of the day or night um, and either just have that listening ear or be linked into that kind of whole host of different support that's now available that might be kind of clinical, kind of, as you said, that joining up between the NHS and the voluntary sector being really key but also the huge number of new voluntary sector roles that have um, have been created and has been enabled really by that partnership that is now so embedded. 
Jane, I, I wonder what sort of benefits that you're starting to see now as part of Open Mental Health. We've moved away from that traditional eligibility criteria and triage and assessment that really stifled the provision of mental health services. And there was a sense from our experts by experience of them needing to kind of fight for a high quality offer. So, you know, a key benefit is this ethos of no wrong door that people can come in to our service via MindLine and they'll, they'll have a listening conversation, but they can be introduced to everything from our home treatment team to kind of local grassroots mental health offers. We're using a care plan at the moment. Again, we've stuck to our model of a partnership. So we want to make sure that our VCS partners and our NHS partners both have access to that care plan where we will be able to start to look at the clinical and the occupational outcomes. Tim did you want to add something? All throughout this process what people kept telling us experts by experience and people who've used services in the past was exactly what Jane described and that is that they weren't looking for a health response they weren't looking for a diagnosis they were just looking for somebody to have that listening ear and understand what their problems were and, and the beauty of this alliance is that they can have that listening ear but also that we then have that whole voluntary sector alliance that can tailor it to whatever their issue is and, and I think you know what we need to understand is that a health and care system what we've done is we, we've opened the door to those people who previously we would have turned away and I think Jane is, is right we can see from the figures that that means that we can support more people we can support them earlier we're delivering support to people who previously would have been turned away uh, and I just think that's worth stressing and, and that's a big part of our transformation. I think another really crucial part is the joining up so yes it's it's all of those voluntary sector offers and all of those new roles that we know exist absolutely it's that but it's also that that's linked so closely with the NHS it's that ability to share information it's that multi-agency multidisciplinary team meeting that takes place across each locality every week where you know any partner is able then to bring a client or a patient that they're working with to, to really have a holistic discussion about how we can wrap the care around to individuals you know in a really holistic way um, I just wondered also what anybody's reflections were around benefits to the system so I think I think yes we can see benefits to individuals but Jane did you have any thoughts on benefits to the system as a whole? The benefits to the system are huge and I think what we've really wanted to do is build trust between organisations. Clearly for me, one of the benefits is that we have a voluntary sector that we are supporting to be strong and sustainable rather than, I think, a traditional over-reliance on kind of short and fixed-term contracts. So I think that's been immense. I think the other benefit to the system is working together to co-design a model again moving away from the kind of silo working that kind of typified the health and care system we've already noticed a reduction in ed attendances signposted from nhs 111 and we're you know working with swast and other system partners to really strengthen how we realize those benefits the main thing for me is having a system that works together informed by our expert by experience just feels like a better system to work in 
I think that's really interesting, isn't it? The Actually, the difference in how it feels for people to be working in this way. And I think we see that um, kind of across the voluntary sector as well. So it's interesting you're kind of seeing that um, within NHS frontline colleagues. And I think actually there's a real feeling of the voluntary sector feeling valued and feeling, you know, as if there's been an equal partnership in designing and developing this, not just something, you know, that just the NHS have developed on their own and then decided to, oh, we'll, we'll give a bit of it to the voluntary sector, but something that's been really kind of collaborative and, and developed together. Jane? And I think what I've also really enjoyed is learning a lot from our VCS colleagues, and I'm, and I'm sure that's vice versa, but just one key learning point for me is how in the NHS, our language, so referral, pathway, discharge, often leads to the model rather than the model driving the language. So that kind of learning that we've done from the BCS around kind of the use of language and experience of barriers has been, again, absolutely immense and really challenged traditional ways of thinking within the NHS, which I think has been very healthy. Tim, did you want to come in? Just to say, I think that challenge to the culture in the right way and just being all one team has been so important to the development of this model. So I think what we've seen is in the past, we've seen clinicians, social care staff, etc., refer people into voluntary organisations and then never know what the outcome was, never understand. Jane, you talked about learning, um, never understanding maybe you know, what the learning was from how that person was then supported. This model is so, so different because they're working together as an NHS team with the voluntary sector and they're seeing the outcomes firsthand. They're seeing how they can work together to meet somebody's needs on an individual basis. Andrew? I think the thing for me that is different is we've spoken about transformation or redesign or modernization for years, and we talk about whole systems. And what usually that means is we're okay in our little tribe within our little service, our agency, and we all want whole system change. But invariably in the past, what we've meant by that is somebody else needs to change, not me. But I think the spirit of what this model has done is we all have to change. Absolutely. And I think I think it's just interesting to reflect that the culture change that's needed and the development of relationships and the valuing of everyone and every organisation within that isn't just voluntary sector versus statutory sector thing. It's within the voluntary sector itself as well. So, you know, within Rethink, we see many different parts of the country kind of grappling with this now that everybody is trying to implement this sort of service transformation. But I think there's something about how we can use an alliance to ensure that voluntary sector organisations of all different shapes and sizes are able to be part of the solution and have a place around the table. And that's really challenging, I think, sometimes for smaller organisations. But if I think about the organisations that are part of open mental health, varying from watch really small kind of peer focused organisation right up to rethink big national organisation. And I think quite often it would be easy for the NHS or statutory partners to almost tick a box by using or working in partnership with maybe rethink or maybe the, the local mind. But actually, my view is that that really misses a trick and that really doesn't enable the involvement of really small local organisations that really, really know their communities. But actually, that sometimes that's quite hard for the NHS to contract with very many smaller organisations. So I'm just interested in anybody's views as to how that's been overcome. You know, how have we been able to do things a bit differently? Tim, did you want to come in on that? 
It's so easy to tick a box, isn't it? And say, we've worked with the voluntary sector, we've done things differently. But so often that was seen as an add-on rather than as part of a model. It was seen very much as, you know, actually there's a little bit of funding left over, let's put it into the voluntary sector. And then worse than that, Becky, as you were describing, that voluntary sector would quite often just consist of big national voluntary sector organisations because it was felt that they could deliver better. In fact, what we've proved in Somerset is that local is better with some help with coordination, with working together as an alliance. And how proud are some of our VCSE organisations in Somerset about being part of this model? You see it in the way that they work. You see it in in, in what they publicise. They are so proud to be part of Open Mental Health. They feel like they've been given an opportunity, a voice. And and if, if you're looking at a collaborative voluntary sector model, this is the way to do it. Andrew? We set the parameters, as it were, we set the objectives of what we wanted, but it wasn't based on a service specification that was highly prescriptive. It wasn't a, a forced, we encouraged, as it were, and created the environment for relationships to flourish. And it comes back to this point of trusting relationships. I don't think you could do this purely from a desktop and a contract and then performance manager. It's about inspiring people, congregating around the shared values about what's the best for the individuals and the people of Somerset, and then sharing that vision and working together without necessarily, in some instances, some of the voluntary sector agencies that came into the alliance, there was no guarantee of where this would lead or what the money would be or wouldn't be and if it would be viable or not. And But there was a commitment locally to do the right thing, essentially. And then we work out the details uh, later and we work out the contracts to some degree later. Obviously, there's a framework that we have to work to to keep things legal. But nevertheless, it is the relationships and culture that really make the difference. Jane? I think one of the things that Open Mental Health has been for me and probably other partners is a bit of a masterclass in positive risk-taking and leadership insofar as we kind of knew Rob from the outset because our experts by experience had told us what they wanted from the model but we didn't actually know what that looked like and you know that's quite hard working with an environment within a contractual and commissioning arrangement where we know what we want to do but we're going to take a leap of faith and do it without knowing the details of the model and working within some foundation trust with colleagues to say, yes, we're going to open all the doors and it's going to be okay. And that being absolutely the opposite to the way we've worked in the NHS for years and years and years, where we put higher and higher gates up in order to manage that perceived demand. So I think, you know, that kind of leadership saying, This is what we're trying to achieve. This is how we're going to achieve it. We don't know what it's going to look like at the end. We will make mistakes and we will have to learn from those mistakes. I couldn't underplay the role of that leadership and that kind of keep calm and carry on and the need as as leaders to kind of hold that line and manage the kind of anxiety and and in places resistance to a model that was very, very different from the one, as I say, certainly within the NHS that we've been used to. Andrew? I agree, and I think that then speaks particularly about a changing culture, specific to the NHS, I guess, here, around blame and the relationship between commissioners and their providers and the trust 
It's about letting go from a commissioner's perspective and saying, yes, we agree with you and we want to enable you as a provider to take those risks. And if it doesn't go quite as we would expect, if it is overwhelmed with services, where the demand is with what the fear would be, we will share that problem, as it were, when that arises. That keeps coming back to this notion of trust and culture that the provider is able and the VCSE providers are able to take open shared risks and we work on it together and we seek the benefits together as well, of course. That kind of culture of trust and transparency feels genuinely different. This is a genuinely different piece of work where actually there is that trust, there is that feeling that actually being transparent and open and honest about how things are going, the challenges and the things that might not be working so well, is really, you know, what's needed and what's required and what will enable open mental health long term to be successful. I'm just going to go back a little bit to the alliance formation, if that's okay, because I think there was a bit of a leap of faith there which in my view has enabled things to be really successful. Yeah, I think kind of Tim was talking about those early days of kind of encouraging, you know, the voluntary sector to come together and we'll have a coalition of the willing. There was a really key moment for me where, where yes, the CCG and the local authority and the NHS Trust, the Foundation Trust were all part of those conversations and then left the room and left the voluntary sector to organise itself into an alliance. And I think that's been really key, but I imagine that took quite a leap of faith because actually there's much less control over actually how that's going to work but now we've got an alliance that feels like it's got ownership over its own governance its own decision makers making rather its own leadership and all of the different roles that are within that and I think the fact that we were given that trust as a voluntary sector to to do that ourselves has enabled us to feel trusted and then to be genuinely equal partners in the transformation Tim, did you want to add anything? You're absolutely right. It would be really easy and more traditional models of contracting, commissioning, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, it would have been really easy to say, well, actually, we want to appoint a lead provider. And then you subcontract that way. And, you know, in a way, the way that you formed yourself, you've done that. But the point that you make is the correct one. And that's we didn't appoint a lead provider. What we said is, We want you to work together. And you're quite right. You know, we did leave the room and say, you know, you work out some of those things. There will be times when models, you know, particularly if it's demand led models get really tricky and old behaviors start to resurface. But if people don't see leaders leading their way through that and staying consistent with that new culture, then they won't change as well. And I think we've been really successful at doing that. I guess the other thing that I just wanted to mention was, you know, that from a voluntary sector point of view, that permission that's been given. And again, that's really hard for some commissioners and managers within the NHS to do. But I think, you know, that permission has been given. I'm sure Jane could talk, you know, around reporting light, you know, not wanting every single bit of data. That is a real element of trust that I think you know showed organizations that this wasn't going to be a traditional way of working and Andrew touched upon you know longer term funding trust in organizations to deliver that all of those things combined Becky I think have got this model but you are right they all stem from that initial do you know what actually we're not going to tell you how to form yourselves you know you know better than us you go away and do that and I think if you hadn't done that you wouldn't have the strength in that alliance that you now have as well, because people know they've all had a say in that decision. So I think it was really important. Andrew? Well, for each of us in our own agencies, have had to go back to our own agencies 
and saying, it's okay. Yes, this is very, very different. So I've had to go back to the CCG and, and explain why we're doing things differently and we're not doing the things the way we normally would do it. And it's going to be okay, trust me. And that's been personal risk taken for each individual within the, the leadership team, as well as being across all the agencies. But all of us, I think, from the start had this notion of, well, what's the right thing to do? And the right thing to do is build services around the people who use them and they're telling us X. So we should listen to that and at least try. Jane, did you want to come in? One of the other things really for me about the BCS Alliance is that we have some small BCS partners within that organisation who don't have a head of IT, a head of information governance, et cetera, et cetera. And having an alliance made up of big and small organisations where there can be that mutual support and equally, I think it would be disingenuous to do this without mentioning the challenge we've had about our shared approaches to care plan. But that's a really good example of having to work together. So as you know, Becky, one of the things that we've really held on to is that if this is a true partnership, everyone needs to have access to the same care plan and the same records and the same reporting systems the easiest thing in the world to do and we have been tempted a few times haven't we Becky would be to get those organizations to set up their own spreadsheets and do all that recording but the right thing to do for our patients and service users was to make sure we had that interoperability but I think that's a very good example of had we tried to do that with each of the smaller BCS organisations, it would have been really, really challenging. But actually working together across the NHS and those large and small BCS organisations to really support one another has been absolutely the right thing to do. And we will have an interoperable shared care record, which, as I say, is right for service users. But we will also be able to use that to report our kind of activity and referrals which will help our system colleagues. It's just important to perhaps take a moment to think about what are the challenges that other areas are grappling with and are there any, I would say words of wisdom, but is there anything that's been learned through this journey that perhaps we would want to impart upon other people? Tim, anything kind of particular from you in terms of learning, what's been challenging and what you'd want to I, say to I other think, people? I think, and this is where we can challenge ourselves a little bit as well, isn't it? Because, you know, everything isn't perfect in our system, but we realise the strides that we've made and would I do anything differently slightly going forward or if I was a system just developing? I think what I'd do is maybe, Jane, I would get social care practitioners in earlier. So we very much did it from a leadership perspective because, you know, and why wouldn't you, you know, to be honest, that this model is so exciting for social care or should be because, you know, it's joining those dots between, you know, mental health, health services and social care, mental health services. It's exactly where if I was a social care professional practitioner, it's exactly where I'd want a model to be. So I think I would perhaps bring in the social work side and the practitioner side a bit earlier than we have done in this model. But at the same time, you know, I acknowledge this is an NHS transformation. And to be honest, it's good for the system that actually the council was involved from day one. Doesn't really matter who that was. And that isn't the case in every system, Becky. So I think that's really, really important. And I, I hope, and I think there is some excitement about the model. And in fact, I think there's a little bit of why haven't we done that before? It's good confirmation of the model. If you're just starting out, you know, have a look at doing some of that earlier, I would suggest. Jane, did you want to come in? I think that the additional bit of learning for me was around the key role played by communications. 
it's difficult when you're co-producing a model because from the outset we didn't have a clear this is what it is so it was a difficult message to communicate and because we were co-producing it and it took a while to evolve it was a while before we had a very very clear message for our GP colleagues for example and other stakeholders but I think that probably I would have wanted to have got that communication much more proactive at that point where we had a defined model and we're slightly playing catch up with that now. Absolutely agree. Andrew? For me, it's how you do things as much as what you do. So Tim talks about social workers bringing challenge and how you challenge is as important as what the content is. And one of the things we've deliberately done and eliminated is that dreadful phrase, things like, holding people to account and holding people's feet to the fire as if it's a very negative thing. These ways you can challenge people in a very inclusive, supportive, again, on the basis of what's right for the service user, what's right for Somerset, what's the right thing to do. And we work at that. There's no secret to that. I don't think you can legislate for that. What you do is you spend time together. You're open with each other. You're honest. And there are times when you need to say, well, no, I think the priority is X. And you talk it through. And that's something that only comes with time, relationships and culture. And I guess I would also kind of reflections from a voluntary sector kind of perspective are that actually we know that now that there is a process to go through in order to form a voluntary sector alliance. You can't necessarily force that, you know, if it's forced or mandated in any particular way, that could potentially be counterproductive. I think it's got to be open and transparent. I think there are mechanisms that can be put in place to ensure it's not a closed shop and actually ensuring that any voluntary sector alliance that is developed really genuinely does allow funding to flow right down to the micro providers to the very local community providers rather than it just kind of stopping and stalling at those kind of bigger players does anybody have any final things to add before I sum up and finish off I just wonder whether it's also worth reflecting on the wider impact that this way of working and this model has had. So I think that the success of this model and also I think just the the feeling about this model, it's very hard to describe, isn't it? But there's a feel good factor about some of this model. I think Jane was describing it earlier, both amongst the voluntary sector, but also amongst the people we support and Jane amongst, you know, the staff that work within the NHS. There's a real feel good factor about and that permeates across organizations so just to give you a quick example you know I think we've also started now to influence some of our children's services this model can actually support many other models whether within mental health or outside of mental health and I think it's important to understand that that culture is transferable there isn't a blueprint but don't be afraid to shout about what you're doing and have it influence other areas of health and social care there is a real feeling as we said earlier that that genuine equal partnership and that trust and culture and the relationships that have been built up over the past almost two years have really enabled a strong voluntary sector alliance to be part of the solution in Somerset. So that kind of working together of voluntary sector and statutory partners to enable actually much better support to be there for people in Somerset, which of course is the whole point, the whole the whole reason for, for doing this. And the breadth and diversity within the local voluntary sector actually can be such a crucial part of an integrated care system in order to begin to address problems in communities and, and health inequalities that we know exist. 
So thank you for joining us today. We hope that you found this podcast useful and that it offers you some food for thought and some interesting ideas. You can find out more about integrated care and access further resources by visiting england.nhs.uk forward slash integrated care. You've been listening to a podcast produced by Robert Mulligan for NHS England and NHS Improvements.